like to introduce myself. My name is Ron Edmonds. Uh, I'm associated with an advisory firm by the name of the Principium Group. Uh, we specialize in working with what we call green industry companies, really nationwide. Our practice uh, focuses on lawn and landscape businesses, garden centers, and some growers. Uh, and we work with them in three areas. One area is mergers and acquisitions, buying and selling businesses. In some cases, we represent buyers. In some cases, we represent sellers. And then uh, we also work with them in the area of developing an exit strategy out into the future, which is something we really like to do because it's really kind of fun to work with people who can actually plan what they have to do rather than be in a hurry and an emergency uh, to go through a business sale. So that's a, a really an emerging area for our business. And in the third area that we work with some companies in this industry is, is uh, capital formation, finding capital for expansion. Uh, we really focus on the capital formation in the area of, of financing transactions, so helping buyers find the right financing to make a deal work. With me today, I have Richard Helling, who's my partner in the firm. Uh, we're based in, in uh, the Memphis area, and we have another partner who's based in Philadelphia. It's uh, kind of fun to go to a, one of these meetings and actually have people come to a room to meet with me. I go to, to trade shows all the time, and it's kind of weird because a lot of the time people don't want to be seen with me. Uh, it's kind of like the old angel of death on the old uh, uh, Touched by an Angel TV program. When you see him coming, something's, something is amiss, and people are afraid that there'll be some rumor that their business is being sold or something like that. At the big, giant uh, green industry conference in, in Louisville, you know, people will sometimes grab me and want to go down a mysterious hallway to talk. So it's fun to, to, to be with people that can uh, actually be out in the open a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about two areas of substance today, uh, and then we're going to save enough time for, for plenty of questions. Uh, the first area we're going to talk about is going to be, is going to be exit planning, the, the basic ideas of what you can do to plan the, the, your exit from your business at the time you want to exit sometime in the future and have the, the easiest, most favorable kind of transaction developed. The other area is the actual process of selling your business. Uh, and we'll kind of walk through the steps that are involved with that and how to come up with the best possible conclusion. I want to start with the point that every single business owner uh, needs to be concerned with exit planning because every single business owner's interest in their business is going to change hands one way or another. It's either going to be sold during their lifetime, transferred to a, a family member or other person, uh, closed, or, or transferred after death. But there are no options. It will transfer. Uh, and like most everything else in business, your, your chances of a successful outcome are better if you examine the possibilities and, and strategize for placing your business in the best possible light uh, when the time comes. Uh, so let's talk about exit planning and what's involved with that process just a little bit. Uh, the very first and most important step in exit planning is understanding your own objectives. Uh, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What, in a perfect world, what would happen to your business? 
in a significant number of, of businesses, uh, the owners uh, either don't comprehend that topic or they assume that there will be a, a transition over time, possibly to a, to a family member. Uh, uh, many, many business owners dream of their son or daughter taking over their business, and that happens all the time. Does that require planning? Yes. Will it always happen the way you anticipated it? No. Uh, and that's one of, the, one of the big issues that people face in exit planning is that we often encounter people whose plan totally revolved around uh, passing their, their business on to their child. The only problem is that 20 years later, when the business is thriving, the child isn't interested, has no aptitude, uh, has moved away uh, because of a, of a marriage, or, or all sorts of reasons. Uh, and, and sometimes that happens kind of late in the game and leaves you a little bit in the lurch trying to figure out what on earth to do. Uh, in most cases, there are three categories of uh, three parts to your objectives in exit planning. First and foremost, most for most people, is to exit the business on a financially stable basis, meaning that you have the money available to you after you sell your business or otherwise transfer it to do whatever it is that's next in your life. You know, for a lot of people that's going to be retirement. For other people it may be a new job, relocating, uh, maybe relocating because their spouse is relocating or something like that. But understanding what the financial requirements of the next phase of your life is, is a big part of exit planning. I think a lot of people assume that if they've built up a successful business, that they'll be able to sell it and <clears throat> retire and, and everything will be great. Um, and that's really not the way it works, and it requires some pretty serious planning. This is a point at which it is usually very desirable to involve a, a retirement planning, wealth planning type person uh, to understand what it is you have to accomplish. Because you know, people come to me saying they want to sell a business and then when we sit down and work through the details, they find out um, that they can't because they can't achieve their objectives. They're better off retaining ownership of the business and, and for a period in the future. Uh, so that's a, a really, really important step uh, to, to understand what requirements you have to, to meet. And in simple words, if you're planning to retire, you know, calculate what cost, what your expenditures are going to be in retirement, what you're going to get from, from uh, Social Security and other retirement income sources, and what do you have to come up with to fill the gap to live the lifestyle you're planning to live. And, and then we can talk about will the sale of your business accomplish that, or is there another way to structure things to more nearly uh, achieve your objectives. Uh, a second major objective that most people have in exit planning is to structure their business operation in a way that they can exit uh, when they want to, that you're in control of the process. So that uh, if you think that retirement or some other move is in the offing, say, five years out, you know, what steps need to be taken to make, make that possible? Uh, and the third part of the objectives that most people have is to be able to transfer the business or sell it to whoever they want to. And that can be, be transferring it to a child, could be transferring it to 
one key employee. It could be transferring it to a group of employees. It could be selling the business to a, to an employee stock ownership plan where all the employees have a have a, a, a stake in it. Or it could be uh, that you don't really care that you want it to to retain to be sold to a third party for the the most that you can get out of it. Uh, but you have to balance those those objectives. Uh, some people are concerned that their business continues to exist in the way that you built it. Uh, and so that sort of leads you down a different pathway of planning so that, so that you're only going to be looking to a transfer or sale to someone that would continue it basically the way it has. You know, that's a, that can be an illogical objective, but it can be very real. It's kind of hard to see the business that you spent 30 years building uh, to success disappear when you sell it to somebody who merges it into another operation, changes the name, and and uh, and so forth. And so people are pretty concerned about their legacy, and I, I understand that completely. So three key objectives: exit the business financially stable, exit the business on your timetable, and be able to transfer it to who you want to transfer it to. That's being in control. The second step in exit planning is to understand the value of your business as it is today. That can be a pretty complicated process. And people are always asking for simple answers to that question. And in various segments of the industry, you hear uh, rules of thumb as to what a business is worth. And frankly, those rules of thumb don't mean a lot. You know, I used to do a lot of business in the lawn care uh, space um, with, with uh, fertilization and weed control companies. And at one point in time, people talked about being able to sell their business for 90 cents on the dollar of revenue or a dollar on a dollar of revenue and so forth. And people did get offers that were, uh, those are the words they said, but in every case, those offers are based upon what is the buyer of the business going to be able to do with it. Um, in terms of cash flow. Cash flow drives the value of the business. And anybody that tells you anything else is not telling you the truth. You know, that doesn't mean that a business that doesn't cash flow can't be sold because the, the key cash flow we're talking about is what the buyer can do with it. And if the buyer's cost structure is different than yours, that can create value. Uh, uh, if, a, if a buyer can uh, eliminate duplicated facilities or other people costs and so forth, then that, that can create value. Uh, but cash flow is what it's all about, just like it is on running your business. Uh, in evaluating what a business is worth, that's a complicated process and most people are going to need help with it. I often tell clients that the only real valuation is the one that somebody offers to pay you. In cash, and that's really truth. The market will it will value your business when it's for sale, uh, but we know a little bit about how the market does value businesses. Uh, and in most cases, businesses sell somewhere within a range for that particular industry. Uh, in most segments of, of the industry that that you all are in, the, that range is somewhere around a low of uh, two, or maybe a little lower to a high of maybe five times times cash flow. When I say cash flow, that means different things to different people. Uh, but uh, 
and there's different ways to define it, whether that includes your compensation as owners or not and so forth. Sometimes people call cash flow EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Sometimes they call it seller's discretionary earnings uh, because as small businessmen, you know, sometimes you take funds out of the business in different ways, have benefits that would be different than a new owner would have. So it requires some analysis. So just because your tax return says that you had had a loss doesn't mean that the cash flow for the purposes we're talking about is negative. Uh, in most cases, that range of values is pretty wide. Say that's two to four. Uh, that's, you know, double. <laughs> uh, and in looking at what causes a business to be sold at the high end of the range, uh, there's some things to think about. We call those value drivers. Uh, and, and some of them are kind of obvious, and some of them are probably a little less obvious. You know, the history of the business is a value driver. How long has it been around? You know, the reputation. What kind of services does it provide? Does it provide services to a desirable cu customer mix? Um, is, the, is the pricing model uh, that the business uses uh, attractive to buyers? Uh, is there a management team that will stay with the business following the sale? That's probably the number one thing that's going to drive a valuation to the higher end of the range. Um, employees. Um, you know, how much of a role does the owner play in the business, and will the owner be gone? You know, if the owner has been responsible for selling 75% of the services that have that are, are, are performed, uh, it's going to be an issue if he's not going to be around. It's going to be a real big issue if you're talking about a business that does not do recurring revenue business. So a design-build company, for example, in which the owner is a major sales force uh, is going to have a real issue in establishing value in a sale. Uh, and so there's some, we'll talk a little bit more in just a moment about what to do about that. You know, what does the competition look like is another value driver. Is it a good location? Uh, is the equipment current, up to date, uh, in good working order, look good? Uh, would a buyer perceive that they would have to acquire uh, replace a large amount of equipment following a, a purchase because of deferred maintenance. Uh, you know, you can you can you can increase your cash flow by not buying any equipment, uh, but that, a, a buyer is going to likely see right through that. Um, and so all those things are going to have some impact on on where you are in the range, uh, and the physical location of a business is going to make a big effect too. You know, if you're located in a rural area, it's going to be harder to sell your business in most cases uh, because the population of people that might be interested in acquiring that, that business is going to be lower. Uh, you know, that's not always the case, and, uh, you know, we can get surprises all the time. But, but in general, the more urban an area it operates in, the greater the population of people that, that uh, might want to buy it, and that will drive the, the value up. So, when you go through this process in the exit planning process of assessing value and we're looking at, at an exit point sometime in the future, this gives us the opportunity to do things that will improve the value between the day you start and the day you actually exit the business. So there's 
a pretty good opportunity there. You know, what can you do? We go back and focus on those drivers. Forget about the ones you can't do anything about. You know, if you're, you're in a rural location, you're going to deal with that as you do. Let's focus on the things that we can do something about. Like, um, we may want to add service lines that make our business more attractive. We may pay attention in a new way to, to uh, pricing, making sure that, that the business we do sell is, is desirable. We're definitely going to focus on making the business viable without the owner. Uh, a strategy to get to that point, uh, it's actually a pretty good idea in the conceptualizing of selling business anyway, uh, because you're going to have to go through the process of, of, of believing that the business will run without you before you can sell it. Uh, and, and so working on a strategy where you work on the business, not in it, that's kind of the, the uh, adage that's thrown around a lot these days in a, in a few very popular um, business books uh, that some of you may have read. Two that mean a lot to me, uh, one is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, uh, which has been around for, I think, 20 years. Uh, I actually use it in a college, college class I teach uh, as a textbook. Uh, and another one that's current, well, on the E-Myth, there, there is actually a new copy of the E-Myth that's focused on landscape contractors uh, that's available, just came out a couple months ago. Uh, it's, it's probably worth looking at. It's by Michael Gerber and Tony Bass. He's a pretty well-known guy in the industry. Uh, he owns super long trucks. He had a big landscape contracting business in, in Georgia and sold it a few years ago. Another book like that that I'm very fond of, it's not focused on our industry, but the ideas are right, and it's kind of simple and easy to understand. The theme of it is called Built to Sell, and it's by a guy who's a columnist for Inc. Magazine uh, by the name of John Warlow. It's a pretty good friend of mine. We, we're doing some things together that we'll mention in just, in just a minute. Uh, but in terms of improving value, a plan that addresses why your business isn't worth what you think it should be and addresses the details of that is a good idea. You know, we talked about working on the business, not in it, making the business less dependent on you. Some of the things that make that happen that are desirable to, to buyers are having good systems. Yeah. If, you're in, if you're a landscape contractor, what systems do you use to bid? What systems do you use to control costs? Uh, what... what uh, how do you compensate your employees that are involved in the sales process? Uh, maintaining quality financial records. Yeah. Small businesses run the gamut from having shoeboxes full of receipts to having, having uh, very good, adequate financial records. The better the financial records are, the easier the business is going to be to sell. The better, the more likely that a buyer is going to be believe the quality of your information, they're not going to have to do as much work to figure out whether they believe it or not uh, if, if, you, if you have good records. Maintaining a distinction between you and the business, that's a thing that a lot of people have a problem with in lots of ways, um, you know, emotionally but also financially. Uh, because when you own the business, you know, you got that credit card in your pocket and, and 
you fling it out, fling it out personal business uh, may not give a lot of thought to when you pay what. And that doesn't mean you're trying to, to uh, run things through your books, although you might. Uh, uh, but the more you have of that sort of thing, the less understandable your financial information is to a buyer, and they have a reason to, to really care. Uh, another thing you can do, I think, to help improve the value of business is pay attention to the advisors that you use and, and over time build up a relationship with a, a good attorney that understands your business uh, and, and a good accountant. Yeah, most of you have that, some of you don't. Some of you have H&R Block do your, your tax returns. And I don't mean to, to, uh, to uh, castigate H&R Block because they actually have some business-oriented groups that do a pretty good job. And, um, but having good relationships over time where those advisors can help you in talking to potential uh, buyers of your business will pay dividends. Uh, the, the next step in the process is to preserve the value of your business. Uh, last week I, I flew up and met with a new client. And one of the things I like to understand is why are they thinking about selling their business? What, what, what's going on in their head? And you know, a lot of times what they tell me first is not the truth. You know, uh, you know, there can be a lot of personal things, family reasons, lots of decisions. But this guy gave a very thoughtful response to me and a pretty honest one. He has a very large landscape contracting business in a, in a Midwestern city. It is a design-build, commercial-focused business. Uh, it's one that is in a location, and his particular situation has caused him not to really miss a beat in the recession, which is not something I see very often among design-built companies. Uh, but this guy sat back behind his desk, and he said, this is why I'm talking to you. He said, I have a brother. This guy was 57 years old. He said, he has a brother who was wildly more successful than he was, had and he had a window manufacturing business. And at one point in time, he was pulling out a million dollars a year out of the business. Yeah, he had some patents, and everything was great. And the recession hit, and the business crashed. He had had people wanting to buy that business for years. He could have sold it to some major companies for large amounts of cash. And when the re recession hit, it crashed, and they sold the equipment for $168,000 at auction. I don't want that to happen to me. I thought that meant a lot. <laughs> uh, and that's a pretty good reason. You know, one of the things that people that are thinking about buying your business want to know is why are you selling it, and it needs to make sense. Or they're going to think something's going on they don't know about. This particular guy was not selling because he wants to retire. He's actively engaged in the business, wants to stay actively engaged in the business for probably five years. You know, he's in good health right now. That can change. Uh, when you're 57, I'm 56. Uh, but, but he wanted to reduce the risk that he, that he had in being able to preserve the business that he built and made into a successful business. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So how do you preserve value uh, over time if you're not ready to sell is, a, is one of the questions of exit planning. And there's not an easy answer to that, but I think you have to look at what 
given the value of the business today, what could what things could happen that would negatively affect it? You know, some of them you can't control. I mean, and few of us saw the depth of the recession and the impact on the industry. But some things you can control. You know, you know what's the most likely thing to cause a, a small business to crash? You. What happens if you're not around? What if it happens? What if something happens to you as the business owner? Uh, will your business continue to survive? Uh, that's a question that not nearly enough uh, business owners ask themselves. Uh, fortunately, it kind of goes back to creating value by, by making the business more less dependent on you, and so that you can achieve more than one objectives at the objective at the same time. But if you've got an estate that's worth a million dollars because of the value of your company, uh, and you plan to leave that to your spouse or children, you know, what happens if, if you get in a train wreck? Uh, these are the pretty realistic things to ask. You know, some people think they cover that by having adequate life insurance. Well, that sounds great. You know, does that keep the business going? It might. You know, that might, that might not be where the life insurance proceeds are aimed anyway. But having some life insurance proceeds to help a company get past uh, the absence of an owner is a pretty good idea. The bigger problem with that as a strategy is that as people in their 50s who are starting to think about uh, selling their business, uh, or whatever age, it doesn't really matter, you know, the, the chances of somebody, again, I'm 56, the chances of me dying in the next five years are not very high. The chances of me being disabled where I couldn't effectively run my business are several times higher than they are of death. And everybody gets focused on life insurance, but they don't think about what would happen if you're disabled. You know, disability insurance is pretty high. Uh, cost is probably most of you know, uh, but it's something to consider. More important is to have a plan for what would happen to your business if you're not there. To have talked with somebody, maybe it's somebody in your company that can step up and manage the business. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a competitor that you know uh, that you can that you can agree that that's what would happen if something happened to you. A, a friendly competitor, not a not an unfriendly competitor. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, but having a plan as to what happens. Uh, sometimes you can arrange to have someone other than. Maybe you'll have somebody that'd be willing to manage the business, and somebody else that would be able to look after the finances of it, which is often something somebody would like to separate. But you know, who would even know how to how to find your records um, in the event of your absence? If you're in a wreck and in a coma for a, a week, you know, what would happen? Uh, those are things worth asking uh, because it really is a shame to have built a business with significant value and to have it evaporate uh, for reasons like that. And you can work out a plan to avoid that. Once you understand your objectives, understand the value of the business, and have a plan for improving and preserving the value, it's time to put the, put the plan in place. It's a good idea to make a written plan of what your, your strategy is for yourself and for nobody else. Uh, but it's probably valuable to your, your family and, and, and to 
possibly key employees that are involved in the process. Uh, you have to, you're going to have to go through the process of rethinking your objectives in light of the value of the business, what you can do to, and, and what you can do to enhance it. But you're going to, right today, you're going to have a plan after you've thought through those processes, whether that's transferring, selling the business to your, to your child, uh, to key employees, or to, on the open market. Uh, the plan goes on the shelf, and you mark off, prepare exit strategy plan uh, off of the long list of things that you as a business owner have to deal with. That's not a very good idea because every step that we just talked about changes all the time. Your objectives change. You know, maybe, uh, maybe your marital situation changes uh, uh, and, and your whole concept of what you want to do post-business changes. Uh, Oftentimes, as we mentioned earlier, we have a situation where, where you planned for the transfer of your business to a child, and that doesn't work out. They don't have the aptitude, the interest, uh, they get sick, uh, or whatever. They have a really, really good other opportunity. Uh, so you have to update that plan for what makes sense. You know, your, what your financial needs will be post-sale post change uh, and what's possible changes, or your attitude toward you may have planned to sell a business to employees and they've left or you don't like them anymore, you know, whatever. Um, so you have to update the plan regularly. But the good news is that if you have the plan in place and the circumstances dictate that the time is now, you have a plan ready to go uh, when the time does come. Now, let's talk about the actual process of selling the business. Uh, and one of the hardest steps in the process of selling a business is deciding to sell. And I know that because I deal with people all the time that think they've decided, and then suddenly they decide they've changed their mind. It's not at all uncommon. As a matter of fact, the biggest problem we have is taking on clients who think they want to sell and then go through the process of, of getting them ready to sell, finding potential buyers, and then they back out. You know, we go to a lot of energy to avoid that, that situation, as you can appreciate when is the right time to sell your business? You know, there's really three things that have to come into play uh, to be, be ready to sell your business. You've got to be mentally ready to sell. That means you can come to grips with the idea that, that your business is going to be run and owned by someone other than you. That is not an easy thing for many people to come to grips with. Uh, one of the elements of that is, you know, most of us as small business owners, you know, I talked a minute ago about the distinction between the business and personal affairs. That's hard to do. And for many of us, our lives revolve around the business. And the idea that that suddenly changes uh, is a pretty big deal. And when you, it may not sound too big until you start getting closer to that day, and it starts to be, you know, what am I going to do when I get up in the morning? You know, what? You know, people go on a vacation for two weeks and the, the vacation's over and, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Uh, this is a serious question. So you have to be emotionally ready to go through the process. Uh, and then you have to be financially ready. What do I mean by financially ready? I mean, if we go back to that concept of the objective of being able to exit the business on a financially stable basis, the combination of your resources and what you can expect to get 
on an after-tax basis from the sale of your business has got to produce the result that makes it financially viable to you. Uh, and, and that's a, a trickier process than most people think. Um, then the third area is that the business has to be ready to be sold. It's got to be you know, dressed up and ready to go. We talked about the idea of a plan to improve the value of the business by improving its operations. Uh, and, and theoretically, the time to sell your business is when you've done what you can do to improve the value, when it's time for somebody else to take it over to, to take it to the next level. Uh, I said three things. There's a fourth, and that is the market has to be conducive to a sale. There have been times when, when the market wasn't. Now, that's a, I don't want to overemphasize that topic because I think a lot of people make a lot of mistakes by waiting till the economy turns around or something like that. If, you're, if the time is right for you to sell your business, you ought to be exploring it uh, and not thinking that it's going to be better two years, three years out because you've got a lot of exposure to, to losing value that way. We don't know what the economy is going to be be like next year for our industry. Uh, you know, it's a pretty soft thing. You know, if, if you're ready, uh, you should explore it and not wait. But on the other hand, if we get into a cycle where people cannot borrow money and, and the economy becomes completely uh, locked up, it doesn't do any good to put your market, business on the market. And we sort of had that in uh, 2008, late, late 2008, 2009. Uh, people were very hesitant to make a move, and it was pretty tough to get financing. Uh, those things are really not the case today. Um, so, the best, when is the best time to sell your business? The best time to sell your business is when it is operating on all cylinders and, and is desirable to a buyer. And that's it, kind of funny because, you know, you tend to want to sell your business when you're tired and things aren't going so well. But the best time to sell your business is when things are going well uh, because that's when you will get a much higher level of interest and higher value. Uh, who will buy your business? Yeah, it's hard to say. The situation changes uh, in different situations. But sometimes they're competitors in the same market. Sometimes they're vendors looking to... Uh, expand the, on a vertical basis. Sometimes they're customers. Uh, sometimes they're companies in the same industry in a, in a nearby market uh, that see an opportunity for territorial expansion. Sometimes it's a business in a complementary area of the industry. Maybe it's a, a maintenance business that wants to add a design build function. Or maybe it's a, a, a design, a landscape company that wants to add a garden center facility, uh, which I actually think is, is a pretty good idea. Probably about one of the only people in the country, I guess, that does. Um, lots of possibilities, and it has to be analyzed in the case of, in your situation. The, the other category of potential buyer I didn't mention uh, is an individual who is not currently in the industry. I usually call those people uh, corporate refugees, although there's some other categories that are like that, too. Corporate refugee is somebody who's had a job working for a big company for 25, 30 years, uh, and uh, for one reason or another, either voluntarily or involuntarily, are going to leave that business. Uh, and they often have a severance package, and they might have a big fat 401k 
and, and always dreamed of owning their own business. Aren't they stupid? No. Uh, and they always say to me the same thing when they call. I've always dreamed of working outside. And I always stifle the urge to laugh and say, all of my clients are trying to figure out how to quit working outside <laughs> after 30 years. Uh, but there really are some people uh, that, that are viable <coughs> business buyers like that. Um, and uh, some of them have some very good talent and experience. So it's, uh, that, that's a possibility. When you get to this stage of the process, you have to have advisors in place to, to do it effectively. You're going to need an attorney. Hopefully it's the attorney you've dealt with, but it might not be because what you need are advisors that know how to make a deal work, not how to kill one. Uh, because, you know, you can find a million reasons not to do something. It needs to be balanced with reasonableness. Uh, so you're looking for advisors, accountants, and, and and lawyers and others who are deal makers, not deal breakers. Uh, in most cases, you're going to want to have a business broker involved. Possibly not always, uh, but usually a business broker is a good idea. Uh, the reason is they can usually get you a better deal quicker and at less risk of your business going to hell. Because the worst, as I said, the most important thing you can do to get your business sold is to keep it running on all cylinders. And when you're focused on trying to sell your business, it's hard to do that. And so if you can have a, a broker or, or someone like that handling the process, the chances of you being able to, to, to achieve that objective are greater. Uh, there are lots and lots of business brokers out there. You need to be real careful about who you deal with. Uh, that's a topic for another day, really, but you need somebody that, that they're a deal maker too, and you want to make sure they're actively engaged in selling the business and not just taking a listing, kind of like real estate agents that just take listings and, and, and know that a certain portion of those houses are going to sell. There are business brokers that do the same thing. You want to be sure you're dealing with somebody who's going to do a good job for you. Typically, they build a, a profile of your business. We call them confidential business profiles or confidential information memorandum. That's a sales tool that has all your financial information in it and other information about your business. Uh, uh, possibly glossy, uh, depending on the situation. Puts the best spin on you can. Yeah, and that's used to give to potential buyers. Uh, you have to go through a process of identifying uh, potential buyers, and that is going to be uh, done with, by you in connection with your business broker if you have one. Uh, and you're going to sit down and, and chart out the categories of people that might be and then seek them out one way or another, usually on a confidential basis without disclosing the name of the business. Uh, and a lot of times nowadays that's done through advertising on the Internet. Uh, there are many uh, online business uh, for sale markets. There are a couple of really big ones that most everybody uses, and then there's some localized ones. Uh, and, and the, typically with a business broker involved, the business broker would place that ad and also, you know, write letters and do whatever else needs to be done to identify potential buyers. Uh, and then they'll handle obtaining a, a confidentiality agreement from them, qualifying them that they make sense as a potential buyer before they give, you, give your detailed financial information to them. They want to, you want to make sure you're not just giving your information to a competitor or something like that. And a business broker should do a good job of, of, of helping with that. Uh, once you have an interested buyer identified, you have to go through an, 
a negotiating process and work out a deal, uh, the broker will be able to advise you on, on what, what usually makes sense. A broker will also usually be able to assist a buyer with finding financing, uh, which financing for um, profitable businesses is uh, not real hard, really. Uh, it's not nearly as hard as you would think from reading the gloom in the papers. You know, as long as the buyer is creditworthy and the business is stable, a, a, an SBA loan is pretty viable. They're made by local banks or, or big banks, um, and they're, they're, part, they're mostly guaranteed by the government, and so the flow of funds are pretty easy. Once you've, once you've got a deal worked out, and there are a lot of things to consider that a broker should help you with um, in what a deal looks like beyond just the price. You know, what involvement are you going to have after the deal, after the closing? Are you going to provide part of the financing? That's, you, that's often necessary. Uh, and, uh, you know, what restrictions are you going to have on you after the deal is done? Are you going to have a, a non-compete provision? You usually will, uh, and so forth. Uh, the, the buyer will go through a due diligence process where they will go through your financial records and your business and your business looking to make sure that what they're buying is what they think they're buying and what you've told them. And they'll usually use an attorney and an accountant type for that. Uh, and then a formal contract is prepared. That's usually kind of done simultaneously with due diligence uh, that outlines the deal. You know, you first summarize the deal in a term sheet or a letter of intent that might be one or two pages long. The definitive agreement can be a lot longer depending upon the nature of your business. If there's real estate involved, it'll have uh, different aspects to it and so forth. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, the other thing I didn't mention that a business broker is going to do is this process is complicated. There's not mu mo many of you can do mo much of this yourself. Maybe your accountant or attorney can do it. The business broker's job is also to keep the momentum going to get the deal done. It's complicated. It takes time. Uh, it, it can take 90 days to get an SBA loan closed. That's once you have a deal done. Uh, and the longer the whole process takes, the more likely that something is going to happen that's going to screw it all up. Uh, and so, so pushing, pushing, pushing is not such a bad thing. You know, at first you think these guys are awfully pushy, but they know that if you want the deal done, you've got to make momentum every day. Yeah. What can go wrong? Um, you can lose momentum. Uh, a buyer can have surprises. I told you that that profile book is a selling tool. It also needs to be the truth. And there's a certain amount of being honest with a buyer that you need to do. They're going to find out at some point. And if you've got a problem that, you don't, that you're afraid is going to blow the deal up, the chances of it blowing the deal up if they find out, find out about it just before you're closing is a lot worse than if they find out about it early on and figure out a, a plan to deal with it. I'll give you a couple of examples. It is certainly not, not unusual for small businesses to have tax problems. Uh, maybe something screwed up with sales tax or, or whatever. Maybe you've got a tax lien. You know, and people have a tendency to think that they're embarrassed, that sometimes they're embarrassed about those things or they think it's going to screw everything up and that maybe if they get so much momentum going that they'll go ahead and close it anyway. Well, the reality is those things can be dealt with. It's, be honest about it and and work it out with your broker and your other advisors and be upfront with the buyer. 
you know, most buyers understand what the world is like, uh, and those things can be resolved, but it's a lot easier to resolve them up front than it is to, to find out about them at the last minute. Um, so how do you get started in exit planning? You have to do some reflection on what your objectives are and what you really want to accomplish, and then work out your own plan as to how you're going to go through the process. There are people that can help you. Uh, many, many accountants can help you figure out that. They may have a little bit of an accountant perspective on it that might not be the, the total view you need. Uh, business brokers can help you with it. Uh, and uh, your financial advisors can help you with it. Uh, but the most important thing to do is, is to get started. You know, the traditional answer to the question of when should I begin exit planning is the day you buy or start a business, is to have a plan for what's going to happen when you're not around anymore. And that's a pretty good idea. I've left a few things at your, at your place in a packet. I uh, just want to mention a few of those. There's a copy of a newsletter called Green Industry Mergers and Acquisition, Merger and Acquisition News. Our firm puts that out every month. That's our year-end edition that kind of recaps the deals that were done in the last year. Uh, but every month we do that, what, what went on in the last month, and we typically have articles that are focused at, on, over the last year we had a whole series of articles about exit planning. Uh, right now we're, we're doing some more on looking at it from the standpoint of a buyer, uh, but that's, that's, that'll be next month. But there's a whole series of those. You can see the back issues of them online if you're interested, and, and feel free to subscribe. Um, you can do that by filling out the form that I left on the table, and all we'd need on that would be the email address. Uh, or you can do it online. There's a link uh, from our website. So if you'd like that, we'd be delighted for you to have it. Uh, also have some information about a couple of books that we have. Uh, we've, got, we've put out two books. One is called How to Sell Your Green Business, and the other is just been published over the last couple of months. It's called Green Exit, which is exit planning for, for lawn and landscape and related industries. Uh, and uh, they've been pretty well received, and, and if you're interested in those, you can order them online from various sources listed there. We actually have some here today. The price, the, the list price is, I think, $14.99. We're, we're going to sell them, if anybody wants one today, uh, we have them for $10, no change. So. Uh, and uh, be happy since we don't have to ship them or anything if you if you like them. Richard has those in the back. Uh, another thing that's in the packet that might be of interest to you is the last sheet. It's called the sellability score. And I reread that material, and it's a little bit hokey for me right now, but it's actually a, a good thing. This, we, this is a deal that we were doing along with John Warlow, who wrote Built to Sell. And if you go to that website, sellability.principiumgroup.com, it will um, take you to a quiz that you can take, and it will ask you questions about your business and will give you a score as to how sellable your business is uh, and whether you're going to be able to get a premium price or, or you know, in an average range. And it will and, and give you that score online, and then it will – produce a 24-page report um, that will come to us, and we'll send it to you by email. 
uh, and and schedule a time to discuss what that report means to your company. All that's free uh, as a just something we're doing for the industry. Uh, it's not that quiz is not really focused on our industry, so we have to. That's why we have to kind of look back and kind of give you some thoughts about what it means. But it's a pretty good, pretty good tool, and we've had a number of people do it. And feel free to do that if you'd like. I have uh, pretty much run our time, although I don't think there's anything coming in here right now. And I would be delighted to answer, uh, to try to answer any questions you might have. Uh, as a group or, or otherwise, Richard would also back there. Any questions from the floor? Yes, sir. Just one. So you told the story about the guy that really wanted to reduce his risk and that, you know, in a down economy. So what was he, or how did you advise him as to what to tell the potential buyers? The truth. The question is, uh, we have a I told the story a few minutes ago of a, of a, of a seller, a client of ours, who, whose reason for selling is to reduce his risk in a down economy. Uh, and I think that the context of the question is, is, is that a reasonable thing to tell a buyer uh, that, I mean, who, who's going to be worried about risk too? Uh, I think the answer is yes, it's a reasonable thing to say. Uh, and I think it's a perfectly reasonable explanation. He's not saying his business is about to crash. He's saying that he's uncertain of what's going to happen in the future and that he's 57 years old and has to have a retirement plan. Uh, and that maybe if another company that was bigger and stronger took that company over as a new location, that their chances of surviving and thriving would be greater. Uh, All right, let's say that it was by a larger company and this acquisition was only 5% People are in different timelines of what, what they're prepared to deal with. And the implications of a downturn are worse if you're 57 than if you're 47. Um, at least sort of. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to say. Yes, sir. How valuable is uh, owner retention, owner staying on, helping with the transition, working an extended period of time to help in the transition process? As in a number of years, even. Yeah. The question is, how important is it for the owner to stay on uh, after a sale is completed? <clears throat> and those situations, are they just really vary. And a lot of it depends upon how dependent on the owner the business is. Yeah. The more dependent the, the business is on the owner, the longer that period is going to be uh, that it, it's required to transition it. Yeah. In a typical deal, the minimum. Uh, time to stay on an assistant transition is probably 60 to 90 days. Um, but, you know, the deal that I was just talking about, you know, the guy is actually proposing more like five years. Uh, it's got to make economic sense for the buyer. You know, the chemistry between the, the buyer and the seller is important. Uh, you know, it can, might be that you find somebody that's a perfect transition and you can, you know, you might want to reduce your time commitment to 50%. And if that works for you and it works for the the buyer, then that you could do that forever, you know, as long as you feel like it. Um, it just there's really not an answer. But what is clear cut is if your business is dependent on you, there has to be a way to transition that to to a new owner in a, in a realistic way. Yeah, 
if you are responsible for 75% of the sales of your business, then the buyer has got to understand how that, how that can continue in the future. And if that involves you staying on, that may help. Yes, sir. Um, what about the employee, uh, the ESOP program? Is that something that, <clears throat> it, uh, in your experience, is it, does it go to all employees, or it would just be a, <coughs> a few employees? And, and what is the um, results that you see across the country with something like that? Well, some of them are unbelievably good. Uh, in terms of there are non-discrimination rules because an ESOP is a retirement plan and the same kinds of non-discrimination rules that apply to other retirement plans apply to them. Now, as a practical matter, it, I mean, I'm, I'm not, don't have the rules on the top of my head, but you can, you know, seasonal employees are not going to have to be included, um, for example. Uh, so there are ways that you can kind of accomplish that. Uh, most of the cases I'm involved with I'm aware of are pretty broad uh, in terms of what the ownership is. Again, they really have to be with the exception of certain classes like seasonal employees. There are some wildly successful ones. Um, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest companies in the industry, Navy Tree, is, a, is an ESOP-owned company. Um, now, ESOP owns most of it, but there are people that own shares other than the ESOP. The executives still have have interest and there are ways to accomplish that in smaller transactions. There are, but there are, the issue about size of companies for ESOPs, there are costs that are enough that there's some size at which below that it doesn't make a lot of sense because you incur what I call maintenance costs. Not only do you cost money to set it up um, and you have to live with what you've set up, you also are required to annually have a valuation of the business because people that leave have to have a way to cash out their money. That's actually it's a complicating factor for some businesses because you have to have enough liquidity to, to, to do that because you, know, you can't not, not buy somebody out when they leave. Uh, but I'm pretty high on, on ESOPs. I'm particularly high on them on some industries where valuation and marketability is a challenge. Um, I think they're kind of interesting on design-build companies. They're kind of hard to sell sometimes. I said they're pretty strong. And that also, they, those kind of companies tend to have a range of key employees that it makes a lot of sense for. Uh, you know, I've got a, a company that I work with in Memphis. Um, I didn't help them set up their, their ESOP, but, which they did a few years ago. Uh, it's, the name of it is Michael Hatcher Associates. It's a pretty good-sized design, build, and maintenance company, uh, probably six or seven million dollars in revenue. Uh, and they're ESOP owned and they love it. You know, I've got some other, got some people in the lawn care space that are, that are looking at it that are pretty excited about it. One of the big, uh, one of the big companies in the, in the lawn care space uh, that's based around here, I can't remember whether they're in Kansas, Kansas City or Lawrence or Ryan Lawn is an ESOP-owned company, I know. Uh, and there, there's tons of them. And it's starting to be a lot. Uh, and and we're, we're excited about that. Um, you know, there are all kinds of complications uh, with them. 
you know, the valuations tend to be a little bit lower uh, for a variety of reasons, and that can be a little bit of a complicating factor if you're going to be doing acquisitions because you may be valuing them less than the market would uh, a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, they're very exciting. I think it's well worth thinking about. Uh, there, it is a, an area where I don't know whether you've seriously looked at it already or not, but there are people that will take your money pretty fast on, on feasibility studies and, and, and the range of cost associated with setting one up and managing it over time is kind of unbelievable, the difference that some people will charge versus others. Now, you got to have credible advisors working with you on it, but it, you don't have to pay those those really top prices. Uh, yeah, I've seen you know the same deal. People propose three, four times more than another uh, vendor to, to set them up. Other questions? Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you coming out today. Uh, We'd welcome the opportunity to stay in touch. Um, call us anytime. We'd love to put you on our email list. And we're going to be around here if anybody wants to visit a little bit, too. Thanks again.